Good Bone Health makes active aging possible. Join us for inspiring conversations from diverse perspectives in osteoporosis from patients, healthcare providers, caregivers, policymakers, researchers, advocates, and innovators. Protect your ability to live your best life. The information and opinions expressed in Bone Talk are not intended to replace the services of trained and qualified health professionals or to be a substitute of medical advice of physicians. You may review the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation's full medical disclaimer at bonehealthandosteoporosis.org. Hi everyone, welcome to Bone Talk. I'm Claire Gill, CEO of the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation. Please join me in welcoming Sonia Satra, a trailblazer in personal transformation. Sonia is the founder and CEO of Modicize, an award-winning lifestyle wellness program that blends movement with mindset to foster lasting change by helping people reach their own personal greatness. With over 10,000 hours of on-screen and stage acting in shows like Guiding Light, One Life to Live, Sonia's expertise extends far beyond the fitness realm. She's a certified coach and neuro-linguistic programming practitioner, a holistic health coach, and certified fitness instructor. Sonia has empowered audiences worldwide through her presentations, breakout sessions, and workshops, combined with physical challenges like kayaking, trapeze, and rock climbing. Her impact reaches prestigious institutions like UPenn School of Positive Psychology and corporate giants like Goldman Sachs and Cisco. Sonia's work has been featured in Forbes, the New York Post, and other major media outlets, solidifying her as a true influencer in the wellness space. Join us as we delve into the intersection of movement and mindset with the unstoppable Sonia Satra. Welcome, Sonia. Wow, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here today. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. So I will just, you know, start one little thing that I have to mention is I was a guiding light girl. Oh, yeah. No way. <laughs> my favorite. So it was so wonderful when we met in New York. And, yeah. um, and I know that, again, I have a lot of friends in New York who were actors and there's so many transferable skills that people don't realize like after you've done that for a number of times there's yeah. so much that you learn about how to communicate with people and so it's amazing that you've had this transformative career from acting into being mindset focus and fitness leader so tell me a little bit about how that all happened Oh, wow. Yeah, I think you're right on, though, that there are so many skill sets. And in many ways, I feel like my whole acting life really prepared me to be better and to really be able to thrive in what I'm doing right now. But how did it all happen? <laughs> I think I've always, always been interested in mindset. You know, when I started with acting, I realized you get rejected a lot. So I was really studying it in the beginning just for myself to deal with the constant onslaught of you're not good enough or you're not this enough or whatever enough. And so I started to get into it for that reason. And then I just really liked it. I thought it was constantly learning. I was constantly listening, reading, going to workshops and whatnot. So it was a very big part of my life. I think I probably did that as much as I did acting classes because I realized 
wasn't always the best actor who got the job, but it was the person with the strongest mindset who succeeded in the end, who was able to supersede all of the stuff. And that was what made the success. So, and I think in the end, that is what ultimately helped me because as my coach back then said, you know, you're an accomplished self beater. <laughs> We're so good at beating yeah, ourselves up, right? Yeah. And you're exceptional at that. And we need to shift that into putting the focus on what you do well, what you have, what you can do. And it was in that work that I actually got guiding light. And so I know that it made a huge difference in terms of me leaping into actually getting the job versus getting close. Mm-hmm. And then I think I was out with my, I was pregnant with my daughter. So I wasn't working quite as much. The soaps had ended at that point. And I was sort of that person that everybody came to ask questions of because I had studied it so much. And so I thought, maybe I'll just get my coaching certification for fun so that I could actually know what to do when people asked. (laughs) And then I loved it so much and I started to do it and I started to really get excited about helping other people live their dreams. And it was actually more fulfilling than even just going on auditions and whatnot. And so I started to do it all at one point. And then once my daughter was born, I realized, you know, I wasn't really doing anything well. And so I started to make the shift into just coaching and then speaking as well. And so I still dabble in the acting. I still do some stuff, but more or less, this is really where my heart and my passion is. Yeah, well, I'm really glad you did make the switch because, again, you're helping so many people with all the things that you've learned and then passing that along and then helping really make transformation for people. So let's talk a little bit because what I love about your process is the idea that it's mind, body, emotion, all involved in you know modicize. So talk a little bit about why all of those things are really important when it comes to transformation. Yeah. Well, you know, going back to the acting and how that all helped, it in very many ways, what does acting use? Mind, body, emotion, right? <laughs> to create a character. And so when we're trying to tap into our best selves, we need to tap all of those different areas. People would always say, fake it till you make it. And I'm, I never loved that because I think as an actor, I was like, well, if you're faking it, you're probably not doing it very well. So we have all of this stuff within us. We want to access it. We want to find it. We want to tap it. And movement happens to be one of the great ways in which you can do it. And I was on a treadmill once, once my daughter and my son had been born at that point. And I was just had my 20 minute maybe workout and I was watching all the big TVs, you know, cause they're in your face and it was all this news and like horrible things happening in the world. And I just thought, gosh, I'm not doing the mindset stuff that I know works. And I'm sitting here feeling really depressed about the world and the state we're in. Wouldn't it be great if I could just have a vision board here instead? Or if I, you know, I could just incorporate this sort of mindset into the movement. And that was really that aha moment. I was like, well, what if I could? What if somebody did that? And as I was running, probably not a mistake, I'm running and I'm imagining what that process could look like. And I stopped and I take notes on my phone and... I even came up with the motorcycle name, which at the time was motivational exercise put together. And so 
that was where the idea was born. And then, you know, like many ideas, you stick it in a drawer and you're like, okay. And then I was working on something else. And a few months later, I mentioned it to my assistant. She's like, well, that sounds really cool. I would, I'd like something like that. And I told it to my husband. And he's like, I definitely want that. <laughs> so that's when I dug it out and started to sort of beta test it and figure out what does that look like? And where it ended was a seven-step process. It's a mindset process around a specific goal. And so it starts with, what if it were easy? And like really envisioning that goal. Like what is it if you've achieved it? And really getting deep into that. And then a series of other questions that will help guide you there, even till the end with the celebration. And then I matched that to movement. So in the beginning, it was done to aerobics and the movements were, I tried really hard to make the mindset match the movement. So like, what do you have would be movement that would be like, you know, maybe a bicep curl or pulling something in or what am I reaching for? What do I need? You know, things like that mm-hmm. so that it would be anchored into your physical neurological system at the same time the mindset was going. And so both were, you know, the mind was triggering the body, the body was triggering the mind. So it had a very sort of beautiful effect there. And it was also at the time when all of this science was coming up about Mm -hmm. movement, right? Now it's exploded. We know so much about how it makes you more creative, more focused, taps the motivation center of your brain. It helps you make better decisions. it just, it does so many things in addition to the mental health aspects, the bone aspects, right? In terms of exercise in the bones, in terms of your health, in terms of looking good, like we all care about that too, right? And so yeah. it was such a win, win, win. And that was really how Modicize started. And then once I started to do it with people, people were just coming up with incredible ideas because it was tapping into that body intelligence, that place that knows things and you weren't sitting. So we were accessing all of these great feelings that were sparking ideas. And a very unexpected byproduct was people who don't like exercise actually really liked it because they weren't thinking about the exercise. (laughs) They were thinking about this goal and achieving it and all of these great ideas that were coming. So so that's the origin of modus eyes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it makes such good sense. All of the things, like you said, knowing what we know now about the benefits of movement and exercise and all the things it can do for us, and then applying that to that motivational center and that creative thinking thing. I mean, it does, it makes a great sense. So you were just ahead of your time pulling all that together (laughs) and the time finally caught up. So kudos to you on that. You've been doing this and you do it as we know, I mentioned in the intro with companies and you know, around different events around the world. And so are there kind of common challenges that people seem to face when it comes to tapping into that greatness? And then if so, then how does your process help to steer them to success? Right. So I was, and I think we sort of talked about this for a second before we started, like, the biggest hurdle is doing it. <laughs> because once they do it, it happens, it comes, it just, it's mm-hmm. there because 
everything is sort of coordinated. Sometimes you might be preoccupied with some other problems, so it makes it a little harder to get your focus back on, which is why it helps to be prompted on those questions and to answer them. But by and large, the biggest, I think, hurdle is doing it. And that's the, what I find mostly is the fear. People fear the change and the self-love. Am I worth it? So I think those are the two biggest common challenges that I find. And I will often say, let's use that. Like if self-love is part of why you're not doing it, let's make that part of the goal and let's try to motorize around it. Let's see what happens when we use that as the core goal. Cause any goal could be used. It could be starting a company. It could be falling in love. Right. It could be, it could be anything. And so let's really work there and get into it. And, and it's really interesting what comes up in that and how the realizations, the like ahas and, uh, I have one of the questions in the process is what's stopping you? And sometimes in there, thing breakthroughs will come to of like, oh, this is why I'm stopping myself. And so that can be very powerful. And once that sort of has been broken open just a little bit, then there's the, the evidence that, yeah. oh, this actually can work. And I guess I can do it. And yes, I can overcome that fear one step at a time. Yeah. Well, it is, like you said, there, we all have those, whatever it is, the barriers oh, that we put up around. Absolutely. And, and so trying to find that out. But as you said, when we were talking about it, and you just mentioned one of the questions there, that idea of asking the right questions is so interesting because it seems so simple, but I have often said, and I've said on this, you know, the podcasts before, like, I'm like, oh my God, I know what I'm supposed to do. I talk to all these great people and I just don't do it. And I don't know why I can't get motivated. And as we talked about, maybe the why you're not doing it is not the right question and find to figure out what those are. And then again, having your process where it's a prompting of that, what are those sequential questions you should be asking? is really interesting. And again, makes sense in that we're tapping into something in a different way. I don't know if you've all, if you've, and this is completely off topic, but since we were, you know, an yeah. actor, there's a, there's a television series now set in Alaska and I'm going to forget the name of it, but it's a um, detective series Yeah, with Foster. And in her detective stuff, the kind of common thing is she's like, so what are the question are you asking? And then she, mm-hmm. when they talk to someone, she says, you're not asking the right question. You're not asking the right question. And so as you were talking yes. about this, oh my yeah. goodness, that's so funny because I love that about the show. And I'm like, it's so practical for everyday life. I need to think through these, these questions that I'm asking. It is. And so, and I had said before, and so I just want to say it here too for people because your brain will answer what you ask it. So when you're asking, why don't I work out? It's going to come up with a whole list of reasons. And usually those reasons aren't so great because <laughs> we're like, why? I don't know. Like, cause I can't get motivated because I'm so tired all the time because I don't do the blah, 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 or all the challenges of all the reasons why. And then, and usually it ends somewhere even worse in like the self-loathing, like shame, guilt, and you know, I'm an idiot. I'm lazy. I'm, you know, some fill in the blank, nothing great. Right. (laughs) And that isn't who you are. You're the choices that you're making at this moment, but it's not your identity. It's not who you are. And I think 
by repeating it over and over and over and over, we often start to feel like it is who we are and it's not. And that's a big distinction. And so by shifting the question of like, of what can I do? Or what's one thing I can do today to move me into this? Or what might it look like if I did it? Or to go to another question, which is the title of the book, what if it were easy? What would mm-hmm. I do? It just sort of starts to crack open that door of like, oh, okay, well, if it were easy, I probably would do it. Okay, so how can we make that happen today? You know what I mean? And so that's where it starts to the practice of asking those questions. We're so good at digging in and spending time and all the things that are wrong with us. And there's great value, don't get me wrong. We can find and learn a lot from that excavation. But where I find that there's a tension, actually, almost a fear or almost a like block of the wall is what does it look like when you're really going down the path of it working out? people like freeze in that question of like, I don't know, you know, it's almost like you could feel they almost stop breathing. And uh, I do it sometimes when I'm trying to stretch the limit of what, you know, I believe is possible for me. And like, I don't know. (laughs) Right. And that's where the gold is. That's where we want to spend some time. And so the first question after what if it were easy really is what does it look like? What does it feel like? Maybe you don't know what it looks like. Maybe you don't know what you're doing, but what does it feel like? What what might be around you? What's possible? And just giving yourself permission to dream because it's in that vision. And then the next question is what do you have? Because again, when we have like the challenges, we come up with a laundry list of reasons why we don't do it or why it's hard or why we can't or fill in the blank. And so when you look at what you have, you're like, all right, well, I have a treadmill in my room. Well, I have a schedule. Well, I have talents. I know how to time. I'm good at time management because I do it with my work. I have this. I have this. I have somebody who can hold me accountable. I have. And by the time you look at all the things you have, then you're like, oh, okay, well, I got a lot. I could do this. <laughs> right? And it lightens things just a little bit. So it doesn't feel so heavy and so hard. That is a really good. Although I was saying I would get to that point of everything that I have. And then I'd go back to the self-loathing. I'm an idiot for not doing it. I have everything. Which place. is where you need to stop. That's the stopping, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a process, like you said, you know, and, and staying with that process so you get to the good stuff, which is really important. And I just had this conversation, like you said, it's for any kind of work that we're doing or anything we want to accomplish in our lives, this, you know, asking those right questions and envisioning what it looks like. And I was doing another project and one of the consultants on that project had said to us, well, let's start with the outcomes. Right. What does success look like? And then we'll work back into what do we need to get there? And we often, again, we're so busy. I do two things. We're so busy that we just jump in and we start doing, doing to do good and to get what we really kind of want. We haven't really paused to think through all of those different questions. Like you said, what does it look like at the end? And then what do you have that are you have? What's missing? So you can start thinking about that. All of those things. And 
I feel a little bit like, I don't know if it's just the nature of our, the, the world around us, like you said, where everything's happening so fast and we have so many different distractions, but sometimes I feel like I don't have time to think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so taking that time and saying, yeah, you want to jump in and you want to get it done and we're going to go do this, we're going to do this, but actually taking the time to think it through is probably mm-hmm. the first step, Right. Oh my goodness. I mean, I write in my book, actually, the story the around the what do you have? And it's kind of embarrassing because I was like me being doing exactly what you just said, jumping in. So at the time, I decided I was going to shoot a video, <laughs> last video mm-hmm. known to mankind, I think. But that was where I was at at the time. And so we were, you know, I had my team and we we're trying to figure out where we were going to do it. And I mean, when I tell it, it's so ridiculous and ludicrous that I actually was going down this pathway, but we always used to rehearse in the studio across from the office. And so we were imagining, we're like, well, we'll shoot it there, but the light's not great. And the sound, well, the light, well, how can we get the light in? And it's just like, we literally got to the point where we were envisioning like a crane on 8th Avenue. That was (laughs) never going to happen. Like, it's insane. And my husband walked in and he's just like, what's going on? Or like, I don't, it's just like, we're really stuck. We've got like a crane on eighth Avenue. And he's like, what? <laughs> he's like, I know this little process called motorcycle. Maybe you should try it. You know? And I was just like, and we realized we had totally overlooked the, what do you have? We went straight from, we got the vision. We got to do this. And we went to, what do we need? We weren't looking at what we had. What do we have? My husband's a television producer. We were sitting on the same floor as like somebody that would know the answers to every single one of our questions that wouldn't include a crane on any that Right. And we weren't even looking at it. It's so freaking obvious. It was ridiculous. And so that's why I say it's embarrassing because I'm like, I wrote this book and I was doing, I got caught up in that when we stop. But when you take a look at what you have, it often changes what you need and what you need to do. And that is a huge, really big, important distinction. So don't skip that step. Look at the vision. Mm. What do you have? Then what do you need? And you do it. You do it. You just describe the whole process around like ever all these organizations that you so successfully run. <laughs> You're doing this. And so it's taking that same process and I'm putting it into here. Then you look at what you need. And then we look at what's stopping us. Not spend too much time there because we know that. We're good at that. And then if we were to burn that, like I literally have like this fun burning thing, you know, and you had a clear slate, what would you do? And that's where the action. So the action comes really quite late in the process. But the actions, Mm -hmm. if you were to start with, I've got this goal, what do I need to do? I would put money on the fact that the actions are going to be different than if you look at what you have and what you need and where you go. I can absolutely see that. And I'm just, again, my mind's running through all the different ways this applies, not only to motivation and exercise and stuff like that, but really across across everything that we do, if we take that that time to think through yeah. and look at what are the assets that we have, what are the things we possibly do, and then what's the motivation behind it. I love all of it. I'm really curious then too, how did you how did you then incorporate some of these um, sort of adventure activities, like the, the <laughs> kayaking or the rock climbing, and how does that go with, again, the thought process and the motivation stuff? 
Oh, that's so funny. Actually, it was in reverse. I started with the adventures. At the time, I was, uh, it's just sort of silly, I was the president of the National Speakers Association in New York, and there was a big sort of luncheon when I got became the president, right? That's a tradition, everybody. And there's usually some kind of speaker or something that is similar to the tone of the person who's being brought in as the president. And so, you know, with the acting, they were trying to go with the acting theme. But I was sitting there thinking, and I finally verbalized it, but I was just like, does anybody even like these luncheons? Like, wouldn't it be more fun if we just went down to Chelsea Piers and like climbed the rock wall? <laughs> everybody looked at me like... Well, no, but what? (laughs) And they didn't realize how much I loved adventure. And I do like that. Got a Norwegian mom who was all adventurous. And so it had been such a huge part of my life. And where I really feel like so many of my life lessons came from were the adventure that I took. And I loved that. And being stuck in a room wasn't necessarily what I really loved. And so at the time, somebody had said to me, like, do you like this? And I'm like, yeah, it would be so cool. And she's just like, well, you should do that. She's like, I'm going to challenge you. And she literally sat there. And then the next 10 minutes, she wrote marketing copy for me to go do a wall, a climb the wall adventure and workshop around what's the wall standing in the way of your life, you know, and how to reach the top. And she challenged me to do it. And six weeks later... I did it. And ironically, Clinique was doing a campaign at the time of like women on the street and they happened to hear about it. And so they were like, Oh, what could we film it? So my very first adventure was, Oh my God, I was terrified, but it was so cool. And I loved it. And so it really grew. So it came from again, like, what do I have? If I had looked at what I had, I have this passion. For adventure, what like how could I turn that into something? But that's really when I also got the whole mind body. So here I was doing these half day adventures with a theme around it. So that mm-hmm. was the wall. The kayaking was like riding the currents of your life. We uh, trapeze that was letting go, and so that was when I started. But that was a half day, and so I was like, well, how can I take that and move it into something that's very accessible every day? So. I stopped doing the adventures for a little bit, but actually I just, st- I'm, I'm offering a wall again, just literally just booked it. <laughs> so it's going <laughs> to happen sometime That's in great. March. So I'm bringing it back because I love the adventures. I think they're really fun. And it's sort of the macro to the micro of size, which is something you could do every day. But the adventures are another great way to explore what's possible. Well, I imagine too, in coaching, you do have to keep your own motivation, right? And so yes. bring back, like you said, bring back the world. We do the rock climbing and stuff that, that gives you such energy is just going to benefit the people that you're trying to coach and demonstrate that. So yeah, like you said, maybe you can't do it all the time, but I think all of those adventures sound really cool. And I was trying to think through, wow, if I were trying to concentrate on not falling off a wall while going through the exercises of, you know, thinking through the motivation stuff, that would be, that would definitely be a challenge, but it would be, it would be really interesting. Well, and and that one is a little less, because we do a little bit more of the workshop ahead of time, and then we go do the wall. So there is an intention of it. And I do bring in the, what do you have? And I do bring in some of the affirmations, because I think those things can help you 
a lot when you're in the middle of the wall and you're like, okay, how do I get to the top? What do I have? What do I need? I need to take one step, you know, like those things. So it's, you might not come up with your most creative idea on that wall, as opposed to sort of a modicized class where it's, you don't have that sort of an interference, but it still has the connection. And when people have gotten to the top of the wall and then they come down, they're just like, ah, I can do that. I'm going to do this. And then they have gone and done what they did come up with. So it's a progression in it. Yeah, no, no. It's a physical manifestation of that thought process, right? Exactly. And that's what's so cool yes. is, you know, taking that, like you're literally climbing to the top. That's just, that's fantastic for people who like to climb rock walls too. And you then, should and come get- rock, climb the top of the mountain. This is good. This is your mountain. We're going to make it yours. That's Anyone awesome. can do it. <laughs> so and that's said- it. It's not about the athletic ability of it. It's just about the representation of it. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely get that. And like you said, finding something that, and people could do that themselves too, you know, create their own little adventure thing that would help manifest what it is they're trying to bring through in the process that you have. And, uh, and they can do that themselves if they're not able to even join on you. So I love that. And I'm thinking about thinking through that as reading your book too, and getting all of those yeah. things together and, and thinking how to, to apply all of that So I feel like, and I know everyone has talked about it and there's, like you said, there's even more studies now about the sedentary lifestyle we have these days. And we spend so much time literally attached to our computers, you know, Mm -hmm. doing work. And then also now even socializing or doing things that we did during the pandemic where we just became the norm for this. So what tips do you have to sort of help people incorporate mindfulness and the movement and the modicized during these busy days where we're just seem to be kind of overwhelmed and sitting on our butts. Mm -hmm. As much as possible, I would say, where can you incorporate movement into even those things? I have started to do walking. I've suggested walking meetings with people and Mm. I'm pretty surprised at how many people are takers of that. They're like, Oh my gosh. Yes. I'd love that. (laughs) You know, or even, yeah, or walking in between a Zoom. This is little, but it matters. You know, I have a standing desk, and so that goes up and down. But, you know, when it's standing in between calls, I'll do a gratitude squat. Or even when I'm on calls, like I'll sometimes do like little leg, leg things just because it keeps the blood flowing, which I know keeps the mind going. And you know, and if there's something that's bothering me, I'll be like, okay, let's just kick that out. So I'm going to kick it out. I'm going to kick it out while I'm standing there at my desk. So that's a little way in which I can sort of incorporate the mind and the body and still be doing what everybody else is expecting you to do, which is be here on, on a computer all the time. So those are some little ways. And then I, yeah. I, I think on a, on a slightly grander scale, I do think it, does require a little more intention of scheduling of scheduling, Mm. putting it into your schedule. Like it was like, it's an appointment and what will keep you accountable. Is it a person? Is it a phone call? Is it a group? Is it a picture on your wall where you're marking off X's and you don't want to have the empty space on your calendar where you didn't do Mm. it, you know, like visual cues, but some form of, 
scheduling and accountability, which yes, we is goes back to basics, but they do work. That's why they're basic. No, that really that leads me to one of the, the my next question that was for you was a perfect segue in that when we met at a luncheon that BHOF had done in New York and the, one of the speakers there was talking about studies that show that the, to be successful at sustaining healthy exercise habits, you have to do it with other people. Yeah. And that was one of the things that was so shocking to me because I was like, I hate working out with other people. I, I don't like, I mean, even when I went to the gym, I go to the gym by my, you know, to do myself, whatever, but you know, the whole, Oh, bring your friend or even like, people in the community, let's go on a walk together. I don't want to. And then all the science shows that you really need that. Can you talk a little bit about what role like community and support from our friends or family or whatever our community is plays in, in motivation and maintaining motivation? Yeah. So I think it's a really great question. And uh, it's funny, I had a similar reaction because I like to work out by myself because I do the mindset stuff. And if I'm having to talk yeah. to somebody, I can't do that. <laughs> right. And yet, when I fall into my ruts, because I do, I will, I will join an event. I will sign up for a 10K or for something. And I've noticed that like that is what I do to kickstart because... One, it's an event and I don't want to die during this event, right? So it gives me a little bit of a challenge. And two, there's going to be people and like I've paid money and I have to show up. Or I will also sometimes then hire a trainer or do something different where I have to go show up to a class to learn something. Mm -hmm. Not that's a drop in, but something where it's a set period of time. So then mm -hmm. I know I'm obligated to do it. So I will find those group scenarios or that person to help me get over the hump because that's what I feel like it often is. It's the hump, right? Once you get going, yeah. then you realize, oh, this actually does feel good. And then your body and your brain starts to kind of crave it. And so it's easier to maintain and to be able to do things on your own. And so that's how I use it. I use it in both ways. I do treasure that time by myself. And when it's not working for me anymore, then I know I need to go somewhere else. <laughs> That's so wonderful. And it's so simple. And it never even occurred to me because I literally was just thinking, oh, man, I don't want to do this. And it didn't occur to me. It doesn't have to be all the time. Yeah. You know, like I do enjoy certain classes. Like I go to a Tai Chi class and I love mm. that. Yeah. Mostly, but I, I didn't want, I just kind of thought, oh, my God, everything has to be done with people or it's never going to be sustainable you know, based on the science, but I love what you just suggested. It's like, well, no, no, once in a while you do a class that involves people and motivates you and then, you know, still do it on your own. So problem solved there, Sonia. Thank you very much. You've made that much more easier. And I think too, and I find too, along those lines, like you said, the Tai Chi, right? You could do Tai Chi in your living room. I feel that way with yoga. During the pandemic, I struggled so much like because I love yoga and I was not doing it because I don't like doing it alone in my living room. It doesn't feel good. I just don't connect to it in the same way. Other people do, but I don't. And video and yoga just didn't, it just seemed counterproductive, <laughs> right? I felt the same. I used to do yoga too in a class and yeah. I loved it. I loved it so much that we joked about the endorphins that I must have felt after class. I agreed to go with a bunch of strangers on vacation to Tuscany 
like by myself. Yeah, doing yoga, and then my sister was in the class with me, and she started laughing, and she's like, "Oh, all of those endorphins got to you," and yeah. you were like, "I'm doing this." So I agree. There's certain times that it's really. It's nice and it's helpful. And making those distinctions of like, for me, I'm now back in a yoga studio. I am going to yoga classes because I know when I have that, I will go. That is a part of what I need. I don't need to run with somebody. I don't want to run with somebody, quite frankly. I don't need that. I'm fine. So I think you can also take it with specifics of what it is that you're doing at the time too. So you add that into the equation. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's something great. Right, it is something for people to know that that science does say that it motivation does. does come from being held accountable by a, that support, the community kind of thing, or doing something active together. So, and I think that's also great for families to think about, you know, yeah. that's a great family activity where everyone's benefiting from getting out and doing something that you all love that's active together. And we don't do that enough these days either, you know, where the kids have their after school activities and parents are running around doing whatever they can do. And yeah, you're not thinking about that. So I love that. Well, this could be like 10 podcasts, obviously, (laughs) all the things that we could learn from you. But I just want to ask you now, and as we wrap up, you know, what are some, like the three biggest takeaways that you want our listeners to leave with from today's session? So I think one thing, you know, with the mindset and the movement, I obviously, I combine them, I put them together, but I think it's also important to sometimes think that the mind can trigger the body and the body can trigger the mind. We're so primed think through things. We're a very heady society. Like everything needs to think. And if you're thinking less than great thoughts, it's probably, it's going to impact your actions. And so sometimes just physically moving your body will change your thoughts. And so I would say use both equally, <laughs> you know, That's great. because they both really perform in that way. Second is I think Trying to look at what you have, I do, I think that is one of those underestimated questions and to explore the vision, the vision and what do you have go kind of hand in hand. Don't be afraid of the vision. So whatever that means, going for a walk and giving yourself, talking to a friend, journaling, talking it, saying it out loud. But the more you start to kind of imagine and create the energy and the energetics and the frequency around that, that gets more manifestation-like, but I do think it matters. It Mm -hmm. pulls you out of the mindset and the energy of like heaviness and I can't do it and stopping. And it starts to get you more used to what it is that you want to be in flow with. And so I do think that's such an important piece that people resist. So I would say open up the channel to that I'll leave with the what if it were easy question because I, I think that that taps our hearts and gets us out of our heads. And that was the intention. And, uh, I give the quick story with the, with the question. My husband, he had this first look deal and, uh, he was paid to, for ideas. He thought he was going to get a second year of it. We went out to California and he ended up getting fired. And we were like, oh God. And so suddenly he's panicked and he's going into all like, this is a disaster. What are we going to do? And I was like, well, we'll figure it out coming up with all the 
brainstorming into action, skipping all the steps mm-hmm. into action. What can we do? Right. And he was obsessed with this idea of him. He had to make a million dollars. It was like, I think this security thing. And he's like, no one can make a million dollars in this business. I'm like, somebody has, you can do it. And then finally in desperation, I was like, well, what if it were easy? What would you do? And he was like, I don't know if I were easy. I guess I would start my own company. That was nowhere in the list of things to do. Not even an idea. It never come up before. Ever. Wow. And I was like, you would? And I was like, he's like, yeah, actually, I think I would. If it were easy, you know, but it's not, you know, and I was just like, well, wait a second, right? Let's go back here. And so my husband does take action pretty quickly. So he ended up doing that. The next day, he called up a friend. They started a company. A year later, he made a million dollars. That's awesome. But like you said, those like just asking that right question and, and getting to what it is we really want is so important, but we just skip over it. I love those. Those are great, great tips. And all of it has been so wonderful. And I love this conversation. And I'm so grateful that you took the time to come on and speak with us. And I know it'll be a great episode. We'll um, make sure that we have links to your website and your book with yes. this episode so people can find out more about how to bring this to life and manifest it in their own world. Great. Sonia, thank you so much for joining thank you. me. Thanks so much. It's been fun. It's been really wonderful. And if you've enjoyed this episode and learned as much as I have, then please do two things. Subscribe to Bone Talk so you never miss an episode. And please share it with your family and friends. Thank you so much. And we'll hope you tune in for another episode of Bone Talk. Thank you for joining Bone Talk, the bone health and osteoporosis foundations podcast that shares information, strategies, and inspiration about good bone health that makes active aging possible. To learn more about bone health, to become involved and or help fuel BHOF's mission with financial support, visit bonehealthandosteoporosis.org.